0: Why don't you be seated. <clears throat> now, we heard in the news this past week that the Liberal government is going to do away with solitary confinement, currently used in federal prisons, and is replacing it with specialized living units that will provide high-risk inmates with at least four hours a day outside their cells and two hours a day of human interaction. And our public safety minister, good Ralph Goodall, said that it is clearly that that it is clearly uh, world leading in terms of the standard within the correctional systems. Now I don't know much about that, but I can imagine that it's good for any human being to be in solitary confinement for an infinite extended period of time. But we're going to talk about solitary confinement in a different context this morning. And uh, three statements, actually, that Jonah makes or is made about Jonah in verse 1 of chapter 2. Uh, then Jonah prayed, to the Lord his God, and then from the belly of the fish. So cause first of all, I want to consider what I call the place or places of confinement. Now, for me personally, I find this text and the entire book of Jonah somewhat troubling for a couple of reasons. Now, the first reason is that for someone who is claustrophobic, the idea of being inside the belly of a fish, no matter what size that fish is, takes my breath away. And not in a good way. But at the, at this point in the story of Jonah, the center of the story is located from the belly of the fish, from inside the fish. Now, the belly of the fish is a place of confinement. It is tight, a restrictive place. The belly of the fish was an, was the unattractive, opposite to everything that Jonah had set up for. And the belly of the fish was a dark, unpleasant, and stinking cell, as places of confinement usually tend to be, whether literally or metaphorically. Places of confinement are very much that way, and when we find ourselves in them, We, too, find it is the very opposite of what we had planned for or had set up for. The belly of the fish was Jonah's introduction to the sovereignty of God, to spiritual training. It was his introduction to death to self, to maturity, to spiritual growth, and to personal growth. And in the belly of the fish, this place of confinement, these things are achieved not only in Jonah's life, but they're also achieved in our lives, your life and my life. Places of confinement for us today, this morning in our lives may be defined by things that we cannot fix in life circumstances that are out of our hands, situations that are beyond our control. And because of this, places of confinement become places in which we chafe, under which we struggle and we struggle within. But in the long run, in the long run, over the long haul, places of confinement bring about qualities in us, in you, and in me, and in Jonah, that would not have been brought out of us otherwise. And this is the second reason why I find this text troublesome personally. Jonah is changing. It's evident by the prayer that we just read in Jonah chapter 2. And change comes often, not always, not always, but change sometimes comes as a forced realization. That many times change occurs out of the realization, the understanding of our human limitations. Change or become inflexible, change or become unmovable. Change or become set in our ways. Change or become stagnant. Change or become bitter. And the list goes on, but I think you know what I mean. Now, as a way of framing this story for our benefit this morning, I want to consider four different types of confinement. Now, there are more but i just want us to look at four that we sometimes experience now the first one is what i call physical containment it's pretty obvious with as a result of a debilitating disease or sickness or When we see somebody in a wheelchair or in a hospital bed, confinements that are the result of health issues or medical issues or sometimes even accidents, they are physical. And we are all well acquainted with them. We see them every single day. Who is the most famous person that you have ever met? Who's the most famous person you've ever met? Who is Mike (laughs) (laughs) Fellino? Somebody else. Famous person you ever met? Whoa, whoa, hang on. One at a time. Whom? Just kidding. If uh, I don't know if Paul and Marcia Bascom are here, but he actually met the Prime Minister of Canada once he was telling me all this. Now, I got to tell you, I personally have never met anyone famous, well, other than you guys. The most famous person that I have any connection with is because of my oldest sister. She went to high school with Margot Kidder. And a lot of you right now are thinking, who in the world is Margot Kidder? Well, Margot Kidder lived in my hometown, in Labrador City, and um, she went to school, high school, with my oldest sister. Now, back in the day, Margot Kidder was Lois Lane in the first significant Superman film in 1978. And I was 18 years of age. Now, that brought me back to Superman. And in the 1978 film, Superman was played by Christopher Reeve. A good-looking, muscular, good actor. And they did Superman, and then they did Superman 2, and uh, I went to see both of those. Um, But what happened to Christopher Reeves is that he was, he had horses, they had a horse ranch or farm, and he had a riding accident. And he became a quadriplegic because of it. He wrote a book called Still Me chronicling the journey after the accident. And I read that and I thought to myself and I thought about this this week. To me, it was after the accident that he became the real Superman. And when we find ourselves in places of physical confinement, instead of enjoying the pursuits of life and enjoying those as we should, we find ourselves reduced to the immediate personal, to what is right here, right now, and wrong. What is not right, but should be. The second confinement is what I call emotional confinement. And of course, emotional confinement is caused by numerous things, grief and bereavement, relational loss, mental health issues that manifest themselves in depression, etc. And again, again, with emotional confinement, there are no easy answers. There's no quick fixes when we go through processes like this. And then there's what I refer to as spiritual confinement, When the heavens are like brass and prayer is like ashes in your mouth. When you experience such spiritual dryness of what some of the great spiritual people of the past called the dark night of the soul. And I have had the unpleasant or pleasant experience of for several months going through a dark night of the soul where. It felt like I was withering inside where there was no spiritual life. There was My prayers didn't feel like they were going beyond the roof or out of my mouth. And I did not sense or feel the presence of God for several months. And the only verse, the only verse in the entire Bible that actually brought me any sort of comfort or relief was this one out of Psalm 63 where it says, O oh Lord... You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The text goes on. But I think you get my point. Especially the dry and the weary and there being no water. And that went on for several months. And then there's what I call unusual or unique confinement. When we were, uh, our first church was in Sarnia, Bethel, obviously in Sarnia. And uh, we were on staff there with a really great staff and a great board and a church of about 750 people and I was the college and careers pastor which is now the young adults pastor the youth pastor and I morphed into wait for it wait for it one of the worship leaders back in the day no one could sing I exalted like I could <clears throat> And uh, we were there for about um, four and a half years, and then our senior pastor, Bill Morrow, decided out of the will of God that he should go to be the district superintendent. I'm just kidding. And uh, we were, I was very, he's a significant person and a significant presence and a mentor in my life, and of course, I was devastated. And he said to me, Todd, you're probably gonna have to stay here another year or 18 months, which we did. But when we came to the conclusion of that about 3 months before Ruth and I for about a year we were sensing that we were sensing that it was time to go it was time to kind of go out and do our own thing and be a become a pastor of a small church somewhere and we prayed to that end and Ruth was pregnant and um, so about six months into the pregnancy and about, I don't know, eight months or nine months into this, we, we need to go, we need to get released, we need to... But we couldn't get released. God wouldn't let us go. And I went to a friend of mine and I told him the story and um, this friend of mine, actually was a family member, said, you know what, Todd? He said, I bet you God has got something in store and something is going to happen and when that happens you're going to be released. Well, it did. Three months later, Sarah was born on a Saturday evening, and we did not know until until she was born that she had Down syndrome. We also discovered that she had a congenital heart defect that would require open-heart surgery at 14 months of age. Now, Here's where the grace of God really matters to us, to Ruth and I. It wasn't for our, it was for our sake. See, I was thinking that God has got me here at this church and keeping me here at this church in Sarnia because he wants, he's got something that he wants me to do. That wasn't the story. The reason why God kept us at Sarnia Bethel Because he knew for the first three months of Sarah's life, Ruth literally kept Sarah alive. And Sarah for three months teetered between life and death. And what we discovered is that in our time of greatest need in our lives, God graciously Constrained us and restricted us and confined us to that congregation, although our hearts were ready to leave and we knew it was time to leave. God graciously kept us there because He knew that as a young couple, we were in a, with a young family, that we were going to need the love and the support of that tremendous church family and congregation. And it was then. After three months, as this family member said to me, that we were released, and we went off to Cambridge and pastored a church, a small little church, our own. Places of unusual and unique confinement are unique to you. They're unique to me. They're very personal. And confining places are not always bad, but they are confining, they are restricting, they are constricting. And further, none of the limitations of confinement in and of themselves produce in us a deeper work or spiritually enrich us. They only provide the condition. To make that possible. Psalm 39 is probably one of the most significant texts in the Bible when it comes to places of confinement and our self-awareness and our self-understanding. And Psalm 139 says this, Lord, you have hemmed me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. That's what is happening to Jonah. Jonah. And that's what happens to us when we find ourselves in places of confinement. God is hemming us in. It is God's waiting room. Now, if you're anything like me, I hate waiting rooms. Huh? Anybody else? So let me ask it this way, positively. How many of you really enjoy waiting rooms? And if you're not a healthcare professional, put your hand down. But waiting rooms. Waiting is confining. Places of confinement in life are sometimes God's greatest waiting areas. God's waiting rooms. And sometimes, sometimes we wait in these rooms. In these places of confinement without explanation. And the belly of the fish... Is a place of confinement. It is a place of solitary confinement. It is a place of inescapable limits. And then we come to the purpose of contentment. Now, I want to say this before we move on. This is where the terrain for us this morning becomes difficult, very difficult. It's difficult to navigate, to manage. Because the purpose of confinement in Jonah's life is obvious. It's sin, it's rebellion, it's disobedience, it's running from God. But even in those times, we learn valuable lessons when we run away from God. And the truth of it, most of us, if not all of us, have done it. And there are three things that are almost certain to take place in such situations. The first one is this. It may hurt us more than we want to say or can say. Look at the stress. It caused not just in Jonah's life, But in the lives of the innocent people that surround him, I mean, look at the questions that the sailors ask in verse 1, chapter 8. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. The NIV puts it, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. I think we all understand that our personal choices, our personal rebellion, our personal sin, our personal selfishness and immorality and running from God does not just affect us personally. Notice in the text, in verse chapter 1. We didn't read it, but there are four questions that the sailors asked Jonah. He only answers two. Why? Is he embarrassed? Maybe. But one thing it does tell us that when we find ourselves in situations like this, it may may, uh, hurt us more than we may say or we can say. And then secondly, it may cost us more than we want to pay. And I think there are three things here. The first thing is that there's a personal cost. For Jonah personally, there was was material loss. There was self-respect that was lost. He lost the respect of other people. Now, Jonah didn't lose his life here. But sadly, some end up doing exactly that. And then it may cost us the presence of God. Now, this, of course, is David's great worry, King David's great worry, when the prophet Nathan calls him out because of his episode with Bathsheba. And David, of course, in Psalm 51, which is the response to this, David says, cast me not from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is David's greatest worry, his greatest fear. And then, it may cost us the peace of God. Evidence by the storm. Now, in this particular context, God in his sovereignty has customized a storm. Which was perfectly suited for the maturing of Jonah. And he does it to us as well what I call tailor-made turbulence. Customized storms. You've had them in your life. I have had them in my life. And some of us may be experiencing at this particular moment. But here's something more. God allowed Jonah... To complete is rebellion. But as he did, the storm grew bigger and bigger and fiercer and fiercer. You see, there are times when sin and disobedient and with rebellion in our lives, and we're running from God, God takes His hand. Off our lives in that particular area of our lives, and he allows the circumstances to run havoc in our lives until we come to the place of submission. In other words, for a while, for a time, God gives us what we deserve. God allowed Jonah to reap the consequences of his decisions. Jonah pushed the limits of his personal freedom of choice, and he came within inches of destruction. It may cost us more than we want to pay. And then it may keep us longer than we want to stay. Now, we're not told in the story how long the storm lasted. We're not told that. So how long do storms last? Let me answer that with another question. How long do we need the storm to last? And the answer comes back. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. And then there's this. Now, we know the amount of time that Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Three days and three nights. Now, but we're not given a reason why it was three days or three nights. It could be, the answer could be as simple as that was the amount of time that it took the fish to swim to get Jonah to where he needed to go as close to Nineveh as the fish could get him. But the story doesn't say that the fish actually took Jonah in the vicinity of Nineveh. And here's the point. Because the issue is not distance. The issue is discipline. The issue is not time. The issue Is temperance. The issue is not endurance. It's indifference. The issue is not even the storm. It's submission. And there's also this. Now, we cannot talk about Jonah three days in the belly of the whale, of the fish, without including Jesus into the equation. Because Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so the purpose of confinement in in Jonah's life is obvious. It's sin, rebellion, on the run from God, disobedience. But the purpose of confinement for Jesus was from a place of submission. And both Jonah and Jesus provide insight for us. One is voluntary, and the other is involuntary. So Jonah, in the belly of the fish, and Jesus, in the heart of the earth, the fish and the tomb, places of confinement, is where we begin to understand the way confinement works in our lives. The same way that it worked in Jonah's life. The result is intended to bring resurrection life. The result is intended to bring new hope, to bring new life, to bring transformation. And this is one of the purposes of confinement In our lives, in my life, in your life. Now, and there's also this. Some of the greatest texts in the New Testament and otherwise have been written in places of confinement. Paul in prison writes magnificent, God-Holy Spirit-inspired letters we call the New Testament. John on Patmos and gives us the revelation. John Bunyan in a jail in England gives us Pilgrim's Progress. And Martin Luther King Jr. in a Birmingham jail gives us one of the greatest documents we've ever read. Now, don't get me wrong here. It is natural and normal for us, for you, for me, to resist These places of confinement, these hated times, rough times, those hated lean times. No one in their normal, right mind would want these things to happen. But inevitably, inevitably when we have been there, we often hear something to this effect. It is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. That's what I would say about Sarah. I'll never be the same again. And then the last thing that we learn from Jonah in the belly of the fish in places of confinement is to pray. Matter of fact, sometimes... The only thing we can do in places of confinement is to pray. And this brings us then to the very start of our text, verse 1, the prayer in confinement. It says, first of all, that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I like what uh, Isaac said. Besheva Singer once said, whenever I'm in trouble, I pray, and since I'm always in trouble, I pray a lot. Even when you see me eat and drink, while I do this, I pray. Now, we often pray when we find ourselves in desperate circumstances. And Jonah is no different. But there's this. Jonah prayed... And Jonah was answered. Listen to the prayer again. In verse 2 and verses 6 and 7. Let me read it to you. I called. This is Jonah in the belly of the well. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. At the roots Of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up out of the pit, out of this pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And these verses in Jonah chapter 2. 2, 6, and 7, we are given the assurance of being heard and the certainty of being answered. It gives us a sense of God's faithfulness, his generosity, his graciousness. God is faithful when we struggle with human suffering. Whether our struggle is obvious due to our own sin or our suffering is the result of somebody else's sin or somebody else's choice or our suffering is the result of no one's sin is just a part of living in a world that is broken. A world that God never designed to be in such a way. But the fact of God's faithfulness brings hope. And the Bible says that God is faithful when we are drawn towards sin, when we're tempted. Many of us know the text from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to all of us, that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted what, beyond what you are your ability, but with temptation. He will also provide a way of escape that you, me, us, may be able to endure it. Temptation is common to all of us. And as we said two weeks ago, a Jonah lurks in the heart of every one of us. There is a Jonah that lurks in me. And there is a Jonah that lurks in you, in all of us. But I love this. That God is faithful in the seriousness of our sin. If there's a text in the Bible that should take our breath away in the good sense, it should be this one. That if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like, is that not amazing? It's not talking to the unbeliever, by the way. It's talking to the church. It's talking to us, people who are already Christ followers. By the way, I put a lot of stock in this verse personally. Just want you to know that. Maybe that's too much for you to hear. And then the last thing is this, that God is faithful. Even when his promises seem incredible and fantastic. And I probably should put in there, when his promises feel unbelievable. And this is why I love this statement. This is my favorite statement. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited, puked up Jonah on dry ground. The text, that verse does seem a little fantastic, doesn't it? A little overwhelming, a little unbelievable, but our God is sovereign. And Joseph Stowell said something that I never forgot from a long time ago. He said, for most of us, God is little more than a 911 number of our lives. But it shouldn't be that way, should it? And it doesn't have to be that way, does it? even in the midst of our failure even in the midst of our circumstances that are not our fault one of the things that we can do Jonah tells us is we can pray but here's a question why wait why wait until failure why wait until we're in the crush of desperation Why wait for turbulence? Why not take deliberate steps right now? I want you to close your eyes. And I want to pray for you in just a moment. And Pastor Scott, I'm going to get you to come back, and we're going to do, I'm sorry to do it to you, but we're going to do that song, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. Because I got nothing else, folks. You got nothing else but the presence of Jesus, our Savior. With your eyes closed, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in the room, or you're watching the archive in a couple of days, Are you in a place of confinement? And if you are, I'm going to suggest to you that you are there strategically. That God has not forgotten you, but he's allowed us to be there. Maybe it's confinement because of our own bitterness and our sin and our rebellion, and we're running from God, and God is pursuing you. But the longer you run, the more miserable it gets. And the more miserable you get. How long are you going to wait? How bad is it going to need to get before you say yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness? Maybe for you it is physical. Maybe for you it is spiritual. Maybe the heavens are like brass and... At this current moment in your life, you could only qualify God's work in your life as being at a low point. Or maybe there's something very unique and unusual about your place of confinement like it was with us. Whatever it is, this is a moment where we pray. This is a moment where we pray, and prayer is simply this. There's no fancy prayer. It's simply this. God would you help me? God, would you help me to say yes? God, will you help me to have the courage to go the distance? God, would you help me be strong enough to endure? And if that's any of us this morning, then we should all stand together. Let's stand together. Father, As we stand in this room today, you already know this and we know it, but sometimes we need to say it, Lord, we're just human. We're just people. We're a mixed bag. And most of us don't have any clue of what's going on in the other's heart, mind, and life. So, Father, today we pray. Would you help us to say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness and to stop running? Father, would you give us the courage, the stamina, the strength to endure? And Father, would you open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we may understand what it is that we are experiencing. And for those, Father, that are hurting today, for those today whose hearts are broken, would you help them to just ask you for grace and comfort and peace and healing? Father, today as we stand in your presence, Meet with us, we pray in Christ's name. And everybody is singing this song.